Hey everybody, happy Labor Day. I don't know if you know this, but Labor Day is a particularly American holiday. It's the most petulant American holiday because the rest of the world celebrates the role of labor May 1st. It's May Day, May Day. Here we, I don't know how May Day became a call of, uh, you know, ships going down, but May Day is a holiday celebrating the workers of the world. And everywhere in the world, except for the United States and Canada, I believe, uh, it's celebrated on May 1st. But in the United States, uh, I think it was Grover Cleveland. Yes, it was Grover Cleveland. He uh, was afraid that if the United States celebrated labor on May 1st, it would become associated with the Haymarket um, massacre and sham trial in which a bunch of anarchists were executed for... uh, throwing a bomb at police uh, when it was pretty clear that none of them actually had any involvement whatsoever, but they were rounded up and executed anyway. Uh, And people were very agitated about it. It became a big deal. And so they were worried that if the United States uh, joined this worldwide celebration of labor in early May, it would get associated with this thing and it would get out of hand and cause a problem and yada, yada, yada. So that's why in the United States, Labor Day is, uh, you know, the other side of the calendar, the first Monday in September. I hate these fucking holidays that aren't actually on a day. You know, the first Monday in September, Thanksgiving, what is it? The third Thursday in November. Why? Why Why can't it just be November 20th? You know, why? What's the fucking problem? I can never remember these things. That's how I should celebrate my birthday from now on. The third Wednesday in February will now be my birthday just to fuck everybody up. Anyway, Labor Day. And what they were agitating for, the Haymarket thing, uh, we're talking the 1880s, I believe, they were agitating for an eight-hour workday. And that was considered uh, unacceptable to the capitalists who owned the factories and wanted people in there 15, 16 hours. Fuck you. Fuck your kids. Fuck your rights. Fuck your humanity. You are a piece of machinery and I'm paying the market rate, which is the lowest possible rate for that machinery. uh, And I expect to use it until it breaks, at which point I'll kick you out of the factory and leave you in the street to die. That, my friends, is what uh, it was like to be a worker in the 1880s and before then. And we're getting back to that. Uh, there was sort of the the heyday of the workers in the f- sort of the mid-20th century where uh, 50 years ago, the biggest employer in the United States was General Motors. And they were paying the equivalent in uh, $2014 of about 50 bucks an hour. So if you had a job uh, in a factory, an auto factory in Detroit, you were making about 50 bucks an hour and you were working 40 hours a week, right? You work that out. That's a lot of fucking money. 40 hours a week, 40 times 50. What's that? 2000. That's $2,000 a week, $8,000 a month. Okay. Minus taxes, whatever. But imagine what you could do with $8,000 a month. You're a guy who went to high school. 
Okay, you never went to college. You didn't get in any debt. You know, any bullshit. You go to high school. You get out of high school. You get a job at the plant, the factory where your dad works and your uncle works, and so on. And you're making the equivalent of eight grand a month. You've got health care paid for it. You've got all sorts of sweet stuff, Christmas bonuses, this and that. No wonder people could support a family. No wonder there was the, you know, single income family going on in the 50s. Because that's the kind of money these people were making. Now, now what's the biggest employer in the United States? Walmart. Walmart is the biggest private employer in the United States. And the average hourly wage they're paying is $8. Think about that. 50 years ago, it was $50 an hour. Now it's $8 an hour. Progress. Yeah. Fucking progress. Uh, This week's episode is actually a lot of fun. It's uh, Mike Kaplan and Zach Sherwin, a couple of goofy, funny uh, guys in L.A., comedians, rapper, like uh, intellectual, interesting dudes. I did a podcast. I did their uh, Mike's podcast and then... um, and then we just took a break. Everyone went and took a piss. Not together, independently, separately. Uh, although I've got nothing against guys standing around pissing together. I think that's, uh, you know, it's it's an underrated camping activity. Anyway, uh, I don't know if Stanley told the story. Stanley Krippner in one of the podcasts. I think he might have told the story how he was standing around a big fire with all the members of the Grateful Dead one time, and everybody decided to take a piss in the fire. So he has seen the um, all of the penises of the Grateful Dead lit by firelight, which really is the best way to see a penis if you've got to see one. Candlelight <clears throat> can, take a, can do a lot for an image. This week's wild and crazy episode is brought to you by Squarespace. You got to love Squarespace. If you don't have a website yet, why not get one? Why not? It's cheap and fun. You can load up your photos there. You can uh, put your musings. You can sell t-shirts for books you haven't written yet. You can do all sorts of interesting things through Squarespace. Uh, the uh, monthly fee is like eight bucks. It, there's an annual discount if you pay the whole year up front, and they also throw in the um, the URL. So if you if you don't have your URL yet, I have no idea by the way what URL stands for, but that's you know the web address. Um, if you don't have one yet, they will reserve it for you and they'll throw in the cost of that, which is like uh, 10, 15 bucks a year. They throw that in. So you save that. So it's a really inexpensive way to have a website. And it's a lot of fun because they've got all these templates. You just pick your template, you upload your material, your photos, your text, whatever, uh, see how it looks. And then you can shift it to a different template just with a click. And so it sort of rearranges everything, restructures everything, and you can see how it looks in the different template. It's a very cool way to check out a website. And they've got a 30-day free trial. They don't even ask you for a credit card. So you get, or maybe it's two weeks. I'm sorry, I think it's two weeks. So you have two weeks to just screw around and, and look and see how things look you, with your own material. So you upload your stuff and you can use the interface for a couple of weeks without paying a dime and see how you like it. If you don't like it, walk away. It doesn't matter. If you do like it, 
put down a little cash and you got yourself a website. Now, in addition to all that, if you put in the code word sex at checkout, not only will they say, hey, that sex at dawn guy actually got us some customers, but you will get an additional 10% off. Uh, so I would encourage you to check it out. If you want to, if you decide to go ahead, don't forget to put in the code word sex at checkout to get 10% off. That's squarespace.com. They are very slick and so are you. Another uh, sponsor this week is Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash sex at dawn. That's audibletrial.com slash sex at dawn and check them out i'm not going to play an excerpt this week i want to try to keep the the intro uh minimal this week because i went on a bit last week and um so i'm not going to play an excerpt but check them out there are hundreds of thousands of books up there you can get sex at dawn you can get gabor mate you can get all sorts of cool stuff just do a search anything you want they've got stuff um and you get a free one so if you Use our link that I just gave you, audibletrial.com slash sexatdawn. You will get a free book and a 30-day free trial. Hear that noise in the background? That's Casilda making me a smoothie. I think the smoothie operation is finished. Uh, I sometimes forget to mention Sure Design t-shirts, but that's like... You know, I forget to mention the air. You forget to notice how wonderful oxygen is until suddenly you don't have enough of it. And then you say, oh, I should have paid attention. Sure Design t-shirts is a little bit like that. Cassie and I wear Sure Design t-shirts just about every day. They are the softest, most comfortable t-shirts known to humanity. Uh, oh, no, there's a little more smoothie making going on there. Um, definitely get you some sure design t-shirts you can get them at my site chrisryanphd.com in the store which is where you can get your sex at dawn shirts your civilized to death shirts your tangentially speaking shirts your paleo modern shirts you got all sorts of shirt options there and if you don't see something you like there or even if you've already got something there go to sure design uh, t-shirts.com and check out their selection they've got hundreds of different designs very funky cool colors and and uh, all sorts of very cool stuff there so go there and if you um, put in the code word sex at dawn all together at checkout you will get an additional 10 percent off and lastly ting you know about ting if you sign up for ting you get all sorts of um, benefits mainly the benefit of freedom freedom you can leave whenever you want. You pay for what you use. No bullshit. For example, if you leave the country, you only pay six bucks uh, per month to hold your number. Or you don't even have to leave the country. You can do what Cassie and I did. We went off to some island for a while with uh, very little cell phone coverage, so I wasn't using it. So it paid nothing, right? We're there. Okay, fine. You don't pay. It, or six bucks is all you pay but you don't pay for data plans that you're not using you don't pay for 100 phone calls you don't make you don't pay for shit you don't do it's like you know it's like i don't understand these cell phone plans where you've got to pay 60 bucks a month even if you don't use it what the fuck is that 
It's like joining a gym. You know, if I don't go to the gym, why am I paying for it? That's bullshit. So Ting, ting Ting.com. Uh, if you go to, sorry, no, not ting.com, sexatdawn.ting.com. That's where you want to go. Um, and that's how they'll know that we're uh, sending some customers their way. They'll pay you 25% uh, to help you get out of your current contract. So even if you're in an unhappy relationship with someone, they'll help you get out of it. And uh, if you go to sexatdawn.ting.com, uh, they'll send you, they'll give you 25 bucks to sign up. So check it out. They're pretty cool. Sexatdon.ting.com. That's enough of that. You know, I don't I don't do sponsorships with companies I don't like, but even liking them, I still feel like a bit of a schmuck, like hearing ads in my voice, because I hate ads so much. Um, but you know, I guess that's adulthood, right? Is that what's happening? I'm 52 years old. I'm finally dealing with adulthood. I've been thinking about adulthood recently. Maturity. It's a funny thing, you know? I'm 52 years old, but I hang out with people who are 10 years younger than me, and they've got kids in their 20s. I feel younger than them because I don't have kids. And my parents are still alive because my parents had me when they were very young. So in a way, I kind of feel like one's chronological age is real on some level, right? My body's getting older. My hair's turning gray. I get weird hairs growing out of my ears and shit that never used to happen. Uh, So there are definitely, there's evidence of aging going on, but... There are uh, situational um, indicators of aging. There are experiential, I think is a better word, indicators of aging, like the death of one's parents or um, the birth of one's children, right? That sort of changes your location. When your parents die, suddenly there's no wall between you and the abyss, right? There's, there's There's no one ahead of you in line. Now you're next. Um, and as long as your parents are alive, you're not next. You're, you're back in the line somewhere. So you can sort of ignore it. Um, and I think that changes your perspective no matter how old you are. If you're 21 and your parents die, suddenly you are mature in a way that me, a 52-year-old guy with two living parents, is not and cannot be. And I think the same thing happens with people who have children. There's something, when you have a child, suddenly you're not the focus of your life anymore. At least not if you're dealing with children, you know, in the right way. Now someone else is the focus of your life. And I think that changes you, that matures you in a way that, you know, me, 52 years old, no kids, I'm not changed. So it's uh, this whole age as a number thing is suspect. Um, And I'm not trying to avoid maturity. I think there are other things that I've done in places I've been, experiences I've had that have, um, you know, obviously enriched my my perspective. And and I'm not complaining. I'm not regretful. And, you know, 
I'm glad my parents are alive, and I, I'm glad, honestly, I don't have kids. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I do want to acknowledge that uh, age is not a linear thing that you can just slap a number on and say, that's how old somebody is, that's how mature they are. I've got a lot of respect for people who deal with those sorts of life-changing um, experiences, and uh, and I just want to acknowledge um you know, that they've got a, a level of maturity that uh, those of us who haven't dealt with those particular experiences, um, we don't have that particular uh, type of maturity. We have other types of maturity. And, and one of many factors is chronological age. But I guess my point is that it's just one. And honestly, I don't even think it's the most important one. So, um, yeah, that's my rant. That's it. Just came out of nowhere. Didn't plan it at all. Has nothing to do with Labor Day uh, because I'll tell you what, working a 14-hour work week sucks. I don't care how old you are. Probably sucks more the older you get. Speaking of long uh, work days, for those of you who uh, don't listen to the Talking Out My Ass uh, sub-podcast, if you want to hear that, you can find that at uh, tangent.libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can also uh, find it on my uh, website, chrisryanphd.com. Go to the podcast tab and you'll see Toma, T-O-M-A. That's talking out my ass. Uh, And you'll also see Get Premium. Those are all premium episodes. One of the ways I'm trying to finance this whole podcast endeavor is by having um, uh, premium content that people pay for. And uh, that way I can keep doing this other stuff for free. If you go there and it's you don't have to pay a lot, you can pay, I think it's three bucks for a month and you can download all of them. Or if you've got some cash and you want to support the podcast, you can get an annual subscription for 20 bucks and you'll hear you can hear all the Toma podcasts. Uh, those are the ones where I'm just talking about my travel experiences and, and crazy shit that happened to me. And recently I talked about working as a slime monkey in a salmon cannery in Kenai, Alaska. That was a lot of fun. And then I put up another one a few days ago about when I was, when I found myself teaching um, Kung Fu to gun runners in Mexico. Crazy. I, I didn't mean to. It wasn't what I had in mind. But it turns out that's what I was doing. So if you want to hear those kind of stories, you can check out Toma talking out my ass. Also, you'll find it at TalkingOutMyAss.com. It's all over the place. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a relaxing Labor Day and that uh, and you've got a job to go back to these days. These days, people aren't fighting to get the workday down to eight hours. They're fighting to get any workday at all. What a world. Baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time? Think about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Alright, the button has been pushed. We're now recording. We're live. I'm here with... 
Oh, Zach, let it go. Sneeze. If you're going to sneeze, <laughs> sneeze, the man. There's nothing Welcome worse. Welcome to the... <laughs> <laughs> we can cut it. There's nothing worse than a, a sneeze interrupted. Oh, I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, you know, it's like sneezes interrupt us. It just shouldn't happen. I, it's sneezes like, are little orgasms, Exactly. Right? Yeah. I mean... That is what they say. Do you believe that? Do you feel that? I mean, it's... You come through your nose? I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to harsh on anyone's buzz. Uh, it's definitely in like the greatest hits of stuff bodies do. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. yeah. What? Yeah. That's how I feel about spiders. I can't believe that's a thing that we have. That they build webs and it's just crazy. They're weird things. Yeah. Oh, wait, what? What do spiders have to do with sneezes? Oh, just sort of like one of nature's greatest hits. Oh, they're, oh, okay. They're weird. Ah, yeah, I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Oh, and Zach sneezes. Uh, webs come out his nose. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna. <laughs> Anyway, we left out a step. What the hell? What are, what are we doing here? Uh, this is this is uh, an interesting, an unusual podcast because it's sort of a continuation of a conversation that we just had on Mike's podcast, yes. which people can find where. Uh, hang, it's called Hang Out with Me, and it's on the Keith and the Girl Network. So it's at keithandthegirl.com slash hang. All right. So if you want to hear part one of this conversation and how we ended up talking about sneezing spiderwebs out your nose, that's where you find it. So I'm here with Mike Kaplan, uh, world-famous comedian. Oh, thank Spells you. Spells his name kind of weird. Definitely M-Y-Q. Do. Yep, sorry about that. Still pronounced Mike. Absolutely. I don't know why. Why did you do that? Was that a Google search thing? Uh, no, it was bef- pre-Google. It was uh, as a child, uh, I was just weird and wanted to do something different. And I, Prince changed his name to a symbol. And that was my, <laughs> that was legitimately when I decided to do it. Uh, <laughs> Really? Oh, yeah. I was at an artsy summer camp. Did you wear shirts with lots of ruffles in those days? No, nope, only the only thing I changed <laughs> was this. I was like, I don't want to wear purple or anything. I just want to I just want to be weird. Can I, what's the easiest way I can be weird? Tell people things, use words. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so is that legally the way you spell your name? No, no I'm, a, I'm, stage, I'm an outlaw. Spe- yeah. It's your stage spelling. Yeah, it's in, in the uh, performers, in the... Act Screen Actors Guild, that is my name, because mm. there are plenty of other, you know, Michael Kaplans in show business. Oh, that's true. A lot uh, of Michael Kaplans. But yeah, it's a, I, I have DDS. that. For, I have the dot .com. I've got the, the Gmail. So it's, if you know how to spell it, then you can find me. Right. And M-Y-Q. Yeah, thank All you. All right. And uh, Zach, which is spelled... Z-A-C-H. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That's so boring, man. <laughs> really. Consider it the classic elegant <laughs> spelling. Elegant. But, you know, everyone has their own adjectives. And Old school Zach. If, if it makes you feel better, uh-huh. Zach used to have a weird thing that was associated with him yeah. as well. What was that? That's true. He, yeah, he's a rapper. Your ex-wife? Yeah. Oh, uh, that old weird thing uh, the old weird ball and chain uh, comedy uh, you have that, to have an ex-wife and a bad mother-in-law yeah exactly uh, no, so that, you're a rapper yeah I do so the form my comedy takes is that I write hip-hop songs and so I used to have like a rap moniker that I dropped almost exactly a year ago um, which was uh, I took it when I was like 19 uh, it was MC Mr. Napkins and then I kept it into my comedy career, and then at some point I just decided... I have a video about it called The Stage Name that's about the decision to get rid of it. But, oh. uh, you know, eventually I just felt like I had all these crutches when I started doing performing comedy solo and rapping in this context. And uh, one by one they just kind of dropped off as I got more comfortable being in my own skin, and that was kind of the last piece to go away. Hmm. So it was a nice release. I've had no regrets. And actually, I had an old... I had, like, a YouTube channel that had, like, 25,000 subscribers or something, and... 
I just like two days ago, my new Zach Sherwin channel surpassed the old one. So oh. that's like a nice under a year kind of milestone. All for right. Me. Yeah. Sweet. So where else can people find you? Because I always forget this kind of shit. So let's oh, get sure. This out in my, the it's Zach Sherwin. You guys all know how to spell it. Uh, is my website and my YouTube and my Twitter. So all that stuff. Cool. You know how to spell it. You can find it. And how long have you been doing stand up? Um, I've been doing solo comedy since about uh, two, like six years and change, something uh-huh. like that. And then I was in a comedy group for a few years before then. And are you from L.A. originally? No. Ohio and Missouri, and then Boston for a long time, where Mike and I became friends, and then I moved out here about four and a half years ago. Wow. You've been moving. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And where are you from originally, Mike? I grew up in New Jersey, uh, then lived there till 18, then went to college in Boston, and then stuck around Boston. So lived in Boston for about 12 years, where I started doing comedy. Right. And you studied linguistics, right? I did. I got a master's in linguistics at Boston University. What special area of interest? None, really. I mean... Can you uh, just do, like, standard linguistics? Just you don't stand, have to yeah, focus? Nothing, nothing fancy. Uh, <laughs> no, like I mean... Swear words. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I can tell you that when you put a swear word in the middle of a word in English, uh, you put it in a standard place. Like, Mother if I, fucking if I, great. Or, yeah, or, word. like, if I told you to put, take the word Alabama and put the word fucking in it, where would you put it? Alabama. Nobody would not do right, that. Anybody right. who is a natural-born speaker of English right. uh, or a learned... Yeah, there's no way people would be Al-fucking-Abama. So that's the kind of thing I studied. Really? Seriously? <laughs> Rhythm? It's it's about beat, right? About Yeah, that's because English up. is a it's a right-headed language, so, like, Alabama, so the... You of, mean right-brained? Uh, no, like, the... So, like, the word Alabama... Has uh, the head oh, of the it's, word? It's, oh, I see. The, the head of the word. The stress oh. syllable is the be, the first syllable of the second. Uh, I think trochee. I don't. I forget all the lang- all the words that you are used to describe the right. things. Now it's look. I'm a master already. I don't have to remember everything. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm well, living in the that's moment. That's why I always so. say about writing a book. Like I wrote the fucking book. I don't need to remember yeah. this shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people are like, you know, what you don't remember on page eighty? Like fuck <laughs> you. The, it's in a book. I yeah. get to clear that brain space, right. you know? Some of it I do, but I, look just it up. by happenstance, yeah. you know? Yeah, man, but... before writing, geniuses were real smart. They had to remember all the things. Well, and how did they remember it? Told their students? Beat. They oh. remembered by beat. The oral tradition, right? Which gets back to rap. I mean, it's the oldest thing ever. Oh, yeah. All those, like, Homer's epics and all that, they all have beat. And you can remember lyrics to songs way better than you can remember poetry, right? Man, I, I just got really into this, like... Um, quintessential hip-hop nerd podcast and they'll have these rappers on and the host of the podcast especially one of them is like an encyclopedic hip-hop head and he'll ask these rappers and talk about songs that they did and he'll be like you remember this lyric some of them really do some of them like have no idea and he'll start rapping it and they'll kind of be able to chime in a little bit i'm always so interested songs they wrote like 20 years ago that are classics for rap nerds but they moved on they wrote the book yeah and also I I imagine stuff happens in the studio when you're recording you might try different variations on something and one variation you know ends up being the one you use oh yeah but it was you know five minutes out of your life I have yeah I have a special that is out on Netflix now that uh, I recorded over the course of two shows and like I did basically the same hour in each of the shows, but the second one I think because I had the first one in the can, like I was a little looser and like so riffed a little more and was like oh if, you know if something doesn't work we'll just use the other version or if some you know see what right. happens. So there's definitely like you know four or five moments in the show where I say things that 
only happened that once, like, and I don't do that material anymore. So, like, there's people who are, like, watching the special, and they're like, I love it when you said this. And I'm like, oh, I, I legit forgot that I said, or I'm like, I know that I only said that once. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Once You said it once in your life, but it's out there now. And they and can watch it six times in a row. It's the permanent record. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how that happens. Talking about words, you know, I lived in Spain for 20-some years, and um, it's very interesting the way different cultures swear. Oh, interesting. How so? Well, you know, like, for example, in, in American English, it's all about fuck. Fuck, mm. fuck, fuck. Fuck fuck this, fuck that, fuck it. In Spain, it's about shitting in interesting places. <laughs> like, um, like one of the classic ones, is like everyone in Spain says, hostia, hostia. is like, that's, that's like just fuck, shit, damn, whatever. It's the most common thing, right? Hostia is the host, right? So when someone says hostia, what they're saying, it's a shorthand version of saying, I shit in the host. So that's the host, the wine, the chalice oh. Oh, on the altar. Is- so it's sh- it's about shitting in Catholic places. I shit, cago en la leche de tu madre. I shit in your mother's breast milk. Oh my goodness. Cago wow. en la leche de la virgen. I shit in the breast milk of the virgin. Do people say that whole phrase or is there like hostia? That's what's weird. They will. Like, like hostia is the most common one, but like... Like it's like son of a motherless goat. Like there's no reason kind to of say thing. that whole thing. Like right, could, but they'll say it. And my favorite is cago en, cago en el mar salado. Yeah, cago en el mar salado. I shit in the salty sea. Oh. And like a guy hits his ham- thumb with a hammer, he'll say, I shit in the salty sea. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Seriously. Um, like, and the idea, that's so interesting that, I mean, is, is Spain a very Catholic country? Yeah. Like, so it makes sense. Officially. Right. Not in practice. Well, that's the same way that like in Utah, they're like, you know, there's the most Mormons, the most, you know, conservative type of that religious thing, but also the highest porn consumption, the highest child porn consumption. Like the, when the, when the most restrictive thing is there, then the most underground thing like rises up to sort of rebel against it. Right. And also the, the articulation of, I mean, I think what we're saying, you know, like we're, we're, we're breaking a rule, right? So like, ow, you're hurt for some reason, you break a rule, you break the biggest rule. God, you hurt my finger. Right. So I'm going to shit in your son's blood. Exactly. Right. So I, I wrote a thing about this on Psychology Today. I have a blog on Psychology Today. And I, when uh, Alec Baldwin got in all that trouble for mm-hmm. calling that guy a toxic little queen or whatever sure. he said, yeah. um, my my argument was, and I raised it again with this whole, uh, what's his name, the, the guy the, who just- Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill, yeah. right. Same thing. It's like, what you say when you're really angry has nothing to do with who you are. Right. So him going around apologizing like, oh, I'm sorry, that was homophobic. Blah, blah, blah. Fuck that. Fuck that. The fact that you called someone a faggot does not mean you're a homophobe. Just like the fact that I say if I stub my toe on the door, I say, Jesus Christ, I'm not Catholic. I have no relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm a pagan. I'm, I'm beyond atheist, right? Mm. The reason I say that is my mother was raised as a Catholic. And when I was a little kid, when she was really pissed off, she said, Jesus Christ. Now, my wife, who was raised as a Muslim, says Jesus Christ when she's pissed off. Why? Because it came from me, right? So it, it, it's just a scream. It, it's not an articulation of any sort of deep-seated emotional reality about mm. your character. At least that's my argument. As a linguist, what do you think? I mean, I that certainly makes complete sense. That it certainly explains why people do those things. Or like when Michael Richards, you know, uh, lost it. I mean, well, yeah. That's, I, mean, I mean, that's sort of the extreme. With version. a comedian, I think you have to give even more rope. I mean, you know, because you're a comedian, you're trying, you're you're playing with taboos. 
Well, and that's the thing is that, I mean, obviously, I believe anybody anybody can say, if you're just saying a thing, you can say whatever you want, and then, but you also have to know that there may, if you're doing it purposefully, like consciously with thought, uh, with, you know, forethought, right. then know that there's going to be reactions from other people. You say a thing, they'll react. And like, you know, I think we almost started getting into this on my podcast, but the idea of the, the offended, you know, people, yeah. people now like getting offended is sort of like a business, you it's know, it's an American it's, hobby. It's, it's like it's a, crazy. There's yeah. this like this brand of activity that like, oh, you said a thing, I'll, I react like this. And then the headline becomes the story, even though the real story might be totally like reasonable, not a thing that is a problem at all, but everybody only knows like the soundbite yeah. because that's all that, you know, you, we only have three seconds to read a thing. So, right, right. Uh, but I definitely, so I feel like I, you know, I've certainly used pretty much every word in some context, even if it's like, oh, I don't think you should throw the word faggot around loosely or, you know, like, or lightly, like even some people would say, hey, don't even say that, which is, that's the weirdest thing to me yeah. is like, how, we have to know, like, like who somebody has to say it so that we know not to say it lightly. Well, we we talked about Dan Savage right. in, in the earlier segment, of course, and uh, he's in he just got in trouble recently at the University of Chicago. Oh yeah, yeah, you yeah. heard about that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He was talking about the history of the word tranny and how twenty years ago transsexuals and transvestites called called themselves trannies, and it was no big deal and. And in fact, Dan Savage uh, was a tranny, and I, I saw he his. Tr- well, he was a he dressed in drag. He, he dressed was, in yeah. drag. He, he wasn't was a, a transsexual. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you know what his stage name or stage name or I forget uh, his drag name. Helvetica Bold. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's so great. Uh, that's but yeah, awesome. of course, I feel like trans like trans issues are right now in even more flux than anything else because yeah. so many people don't know. There's so many people that are just like. Uh, know nothing about it, and then when they find out about it, your first reaction is like, "Well, oh, that's different, weird, don't yeah. like it." So you hear, I mean, and the word the word tranny has been around for a long time, right? And it and, wasn't pejorative, right, until recently, and and even now, uh, the, some of the older people say, "Well, no, I, you know, that's me, and I use it, and it's no problem." And know? there are people that you like. I mean, I think the most iconic sort of discussion of this, like uh, in modern times, is like the Louis episode with the poker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, with oh, the poker discussion scene, yeah. about the word faggot, where yeah. he does a great job of, you know, like Louis is a guy who, you know, he's used the N word. He's, you know, he always uses them thoughtfully uh, to the point that some people might be upset, but other most reasonable people will be like, I understand what you're doing, but everybody shouldn't do it, you know, because it's, you know, it's sort of like firecrackers, you know, like or whatever. It's something dangerous. It's something that has power that you have to know what you're doing. But isn't part of the power? due to the fact that we're so careful about it? Uh, oh, definitely. I think Donald Glover had a great joke in one of his specials where he's like, I think every white person, every, we have to start, everybody start using the M-word. Just everybody use it. He's like, we're going to lose some of you, but everybody should start using it. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I well, mean, who, was, uh, the, who was the guy who was in um, the, the Tarantino film, this, the great... Uh, oh, Jamie Foxx? No, the, the, the dude, the really like scary black dude who was with the John Travolta. Bing Rames. Bing Rames. Samuel L. Jackson. Oh. Samuel L. Jackson. So, so I didn't see this, but somebody told me about an interview that he was doing with someone. I think it was a BBC guy, hmm. and the BBC. Uh, and it was a. He said, "Do you think that in this latest Tarantino film, uh, uh, what is it about slavery? Django. Uh, Django Unchained. Yeah. Do you think? What, what do you think about Tarantino using the N word so much?" And Samuel L. Jackson said, "Well, say the word." And the guy's well, like, well, no, you know, uh, he's like, I'm not going to answer the question if you're not going to say the word. That's great. <laughs> you know, 
what 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 happens if if Nubians decide that Nubian Nubian is a bad word? Then are we going to have the N word one and the N word two? What happens when we run out of fucking letters for these things? Yeah, I mean, there's F, there's already fuck, you know. Then uh, the the faggot word, like that's what we have to. So we got yeah, F word one, F word sub two. We got cunt is the C word unless you're what Canadian Chinese. Yeah. My, my wife says Chineses. <laughs> They're not Chineses. I mean, and obviously... I and why think, is Chinaman a bad word? And Frenchman isn't? What the fuck? Chinaman's a bad word because uh, it's sexist. What about China women, you know? That's what I always say. <laughs> well, I met this woman at a party recently here in L.A., and and uh, she was very nice, but she was this whole thing about how she's an actor. <laughs> and I said, so wait a minute, like, why, why? What's wrong with actress? Like, well, it's it's sexist, I don't know. I said, like, okay, so do I have to start calling my aunt my uncle now? I mean, what, <laughs> what, where is this when going? I mean, it yeah. is, and I'm, I'm on the, I, that's a funny point. I also, I think for that thing, like, I don't, yeah, why do we need, there could be one word for uncle, you know, just auntcle, like, auntcle. <laughs> just like, there's one for cousin. I mean, there's but, no But why cousinous. is it inherently pejorative to note the gender of the person you're talking about that's only offensive if there's if you're agreeing yeah. that there's something inferior oh, about being a woman it's bad to be a woman so you want to just call yourself the man thing yeah. right i yeah. mean it, it seems to me that the it's the opposite of sexist to say there's no you're a fucking actress he's an actor who cares i mean and also though i think what if people people can call themselves whatever they want, and then we can think that they're right, wrong, silly, right. like, pointless, doesn't matter. Like, I do like, uh, like, I think I think we all, as reasonable people, agree that what the words, words have, no, you know, sounds have no inherent value. Sounds only have the value, like, when you put them into word form, uh, that we agree as a society or as a sub-communities what they mean. Right. Like, the word, you know, retarded used to be the right. official word for, uh, you know, whatever it is and now still is in engineering oh sure you know you're you're, you're like your auto mechanics oh yeah your distributors retarded and uh, it's and we only slow down it only became like negative when people were like hey we're mean to these people with this word because the reality is the thing that isn't changing well see that's why i'm against all this culture of offense mm -hmm. people think that by policing language they're changing reality and they're not in fact i would argue that it's the opposite because by by cleaning up the surface you will it's like it's like you know skimming the surface of a very polluted lake you know and you get all the shit or in oregon where we were talking about oregon you know you go down the highways the highways are lined with these huge trees and so you think there's this massive forest, but then you fly over and you see, no, there are these little strips of trees along the highways that they leave there so that the 99% of the people who are, you know, only see it from the road think there's a forest there, but it's clear cut disaster behind those trees, right? Or like how I clean my apartment. I like hang stuff up and then I don't scrub or uh... <laughs> <laughs> a superficial clean. And it's like, yeah. like what we were talking about uh, earlier on my podcast about like your, I think Carlin has a bit about this. I don't know if that's the context, but about how, uh, you know, we kids are too clean today and or, you know, when they're coming out of their, you know, they're not going out of the mother's vaginal canal right. and co collecting all the things that help them, you know, the bacteria, the the dirty things that, you know, make us stronger. Like when you're yeah. when you're exposed to more things, right. I think metaphorically as well. That's exactly the point. In fact, I, I wrote about this. It's the hygiene hypothesis right. applied to language. Yes. And so we end up weaker because we don't we never learn to deal with unpleasant realities. Right. Right. 
Right, and that's and with the Dan Savage situation, I think which he he was in sort of like a closed door situation, but oh, the people yeah. let it let it out, and so then yeah. he talked about it on his podcast, which Zach and I are both. You listen to this, right? The when, Savage yeah, Love. Yeah, the the T word situation, like yeah. where they wanted to call tran- Tranny the T word, and he's like, like I'm not saying anything bad about the. He's like, I'm for people being who they are, what they are, whatever they are, but we have to have access to all of the language to talk about history. Yeah. Like it's like people who want to take the N word out of uh, Mark Twain. Yeah, you Huckleberry know? Finn. Yeah, come on. Like you can. I mean, that's just people used it. It wasn't a good time for all the people. Right. Uh, and Mark Twain was the opposite of racist. Mark yeah. Twain was cutting edge human rights activist in his day, right? Well, yeah. I mean, so so you end up shooting yourself in the in the foot by trying to remove the potency of the language we have. By the way, interesting. Uh, another difference between Spanish and English that's great is English has all these uh, what's the word automonopoetic auto yeah. uh, words for body functions. We we're talking about sneezing earlier. Sneeze. Right. Oh yeah, a lot of sniff sound goes with your nose. Sniff. Stuff. Yes. Uh, yeah. Swallow. Fart. Uh, fart. Burp. Shit. Burp. All those things are you know ex- they're poetic. They express in sound the function that you're doing. Spanish, none of it. None. Huh. Of it. Yeah. It's they're all like really? destornudar is just to uh, sneeze. You know. <laughs> so beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, uh, <laughs> fart is tirar un pedo, to th- to shoot a pedo, whatever a, a dog pedo is a fart. No, perro, perro. Is okay, a, yeah, huh. to shoot a dog at your butt. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what language has the because part of the joy of a really really great profanity is the just the phonics of it. You yeah, know? fuck, it's yeah. so percussive. Yeah, Jesus Christ is really good too. Yeah, the rhythm yeah. is great. Rhythm, I wonder what yeah. language is the like. Has the really kick ass Jesus fucking I mean sometimes Christ. you know that yeah. impulse when you like do hit your hammer to be like motherfucking son of a fucking bitch you know the, like the phrase you offered before about shitting in the salty sea yeah like, right it lets it, you it express elaborate. that flowery elaborateness yeah. yeah well you know here's one for you as a linguist you'll appreciate this uh, I argue that the oldest swear word predates language and sure. that is motherfucker. Because bonobos, who we discussed in the previous segment, uh, have sex in in pretty much every conceivable, no pun intended, uh, combination, except mother-son. And the uh, mother-son relationship is the most important relationship in bonobo society. Siblings will have sex in bonobo? Father-daughter? Well, father-daughter, if they're in captivity um, and and caged together, but normally in the wild, uh, bonobos, like humans and chimps, are a female exogamous species, which means that when the females reach sexual maturity, they leave the group they were born into and join another group. Interesting. Um, But within, so normally the father-daughter aren't in the same area. Um, but, uh, yeah, every combination, siblings and, you know, aunts, uncles, whatever. Um, but not mother, son, but the mother, son relationship is so important that the son's, a male's position in the male hierarchy is dependent upon where his mother is or was in the female hierarchy. So even if she's dead and she was an upper ranking female, he'll be an upper ranking male just because that was his mother. That's, that's so interesting in the context, uh, of this, do you know Patrice O'Neill's comedy? Oh yeah, I, I love mean, him. He's brilliant, but I think this this would be. I would love to. I mean, he's sadly gone. Yeah, I'd love to hear his thoughts yeah. on that exact thing because he has a joke that's really funny, but I think uh, inaccurate 
about the, you know, the whole human experience because uh, he wasn't, you know, he didn't have the most progressive views on gender dynamics, but he would have a joke about how, like, a man is more, you know, it's better to be a man than a woman, which is true, uh, you know, like, practically speaking in a lot of society. Uh, But he was saying it sort of as an inherent thing, like, look at, look at this, a man who's at the highest, the top of his game, a king, can marry anybody, the lowest, lowly woman, like a homeless person, a peasant, a serp, any woman that that marries the king, boom, queen, becomes the highest possible woman status. But a woman who's a queen, she can't do that. She can't marry somebody and make them a king. But in the bonobo world, you're saying that's essentially what is happening. Like, the man becomes, rises to the most powerful level that a man can be based on... His mother's status, yeah. yeah. So he could be a complete loser, but if his mother was great, then... And also status like in Shore. Bonobos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of an example. All I could come up with was Prince Charles, and that didn't quite work. But, you know, you mentioned work, Patrice uh, O'Neill. It's funny, like, I... You know, knowing all this stuff, I spent more than 10 years researching all this stuff about sexuality and the nature of human sexuality and all that shit. So I've got all this stuff. I know more about, like, you know, primate penises than anyone you can imagine. And it's (laughs) way more than I want to know, let me tell you. But anyway, I mean, it's frustrating sometimes because I'll hear a a comic and I'll be like, man, if I could just, like tell him some show you shit. some of this research i mean because like there's a lot of good material in here man you know and and also like even with louis ck he does some stuff about chimps and it's like louis i gotta tell you about bonobos dude really oh. it'll change your your I'll, bit you know uh, i would love to i hope maybe it's someday in the future we can get you guys in a room i would love to i i mean, I, I actually passed him a book through the owner of the comedy store because oh, i was on their podcast in great. new york and uh, he comedy said, seller, comedy seller, yeah. yeah sorry, comedy seller. No comedy stores in L.A., it right? Is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Polly Shore's um, family. Oh yeah. By the way, oh really? I, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, the comedy store is owned by yeah Mitzi Shore and uh, so yeah. Polly ran. Yeah, it for Ari Shafir was in there for a long time, right? Uh, he is. Yeah, he's a guy that yeah. uh, he's around. I don't know yeah. his history with them, but uh, real quick, also I wanted to say I'm, it's good that we're talking about Polly Shore on this podcast because uh, his name essentially is like, hey, do you want to be uh, involved in open relationships? Polly Shore. Yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> have you thought that before? I have. Man. <laughs> Are you a victim of your mind? Uh, n- I mean, I think that other people are a victim of my mind. Right. <laughs> no, okay. I, well, I like know it. that. I'm having a good time. You, you never like you never lying there in bed saying, "Will you just shut up? Just shut up." No, Let I think me that's sleep. only in people's stereotypes of me. Only in like the imaginings of like our friend Pete Holmes. It, his he's like whenever we talk, he's like, "I feel like you're just lying in bed at night, like, oh, let's turn out the lights, light, delight. All right, I'm, just, I'm delighted at the light. Like that's my impression of his impression of my brain. The not unbearable being lightness to... of light. Yeah. yeah, but no, I'm I'm pretty relaxed uh, when I. That's this good. Is, this is for. You you know, for fun. You're performing, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can turn it off. Uh, I mean, I definitely because you're hypersensitive to language, right? I mean, yes. I mean, I think Zach as well. Like when you know, you see a sign and you're like, oh, if you put, if you split that word, then you get two other yeah, words. Yeah, you do all these. You just notice those things just jump out at you, right? Yeah, yeah. In yeah. fact, Zach's newest video, uh, as of now, the it's uh, all there's no e's in it. It's all wrapped with no letter e. <laughs> And at the very end of it, uh, there's like a bunch of words that appear on the screen that have some of them have ease in it, but then they disappear and the words mean other things. Really? Yeah. Well, you guys are really twisted. Huh? It's impressive. <laughs> yeah. Can you give us a little like? Uh, yeah, uh, like an example of the words that drop out. Well, or a little a little snippet of rap. I mean, do you oh. have that? Is that putting you on the spot? Um, 
I guess with no offense taken, I do feel a little on the spot by that. But I would, I mean, I still like your shirt though. Thanks, yeah. man. Yeah. But I mean, genuinely, fine to ask. But I would just rather direct people to like you know looking yeah, at a the, video the, or something, yeah, exactly. and it'll be in its proper context. Yeah, yeah. But so Mike and I um, went on tour together last August, and uh, Mike is like wakes up ready to go with that kind of thought process. So yeah. sometimes on tour, I'd be like, you guys share a room. You need to sometimes. sometimes we, but yeah. Sometimes we do. Does he talk in his sleep? I don't think so. That would be interesting. I don't yeah. know. My wife speaks seven languages. Wow. And, wow. and she talks in her sleep in different languages. Oh, wow. Like sometimes in the amazing. same night, I'll hear French and Portuguese and English oh, that and is, Spanish. That's amazing. Are, yeah. they, are they all, like, how many did she come to, like, as a child? Uh, I, she grew up in Mozambique uh, speaking Portuguese uh, French. A, a tribal language. Uh, wow. I don't remember what it's called now, but a tribal language because she learned it from her parent, family's maids and stuff that she that took awesome. care of her a lot. And um, probably English in school, and then uh, yeah, and then she learned. I don't. I don't really know. She learned French and Italian at some point, and then uh, when we got together, she was living in Portugal. She moved to Barcelona to. To, we were going to live together in Barcelona, and she learned Spanish and Catalan in three months. Ridiculous. Both wow. of them. And she's a psychiatrist. She works in those languages wow. and writes medical reports in them. She's fucking Put a ring off, on it, bro. Off, Good brain. Uh, uh, <laughs> 14 years ago. That ring's worn through by now. Does it, what language does she swear in? She fluent. If she gets hurt. If yeah. she's speaking in English, I mean, if she's with me, we, we're normally in English together. She'll normally English, maybe Spanish. She'll swear in English, but she'll say, I shit in the salty sea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would be funny. I'm going to start doing that if yeah. I can. That's but great. you know, uh, we were talking earlier about my doctoral research when, yes. on your podcast. Uh, one of the things I looked into a lot, which is sort of overlaps with linguistics, is um, I was with this French woman I mentioned, and she grew up speaking French, Spanish, Catalan, and English from from when she was a child. So sure. they, they all are equally easy for her, right? Got it. And one time we were hanging out, we were living in San Francisco, and she was on the phone and with her mother. And she's speaking in French with her mother, and then her father got on the phone. She switched to Catalan with him, and then she was like saying something to me in English, and then back to Catalan, then French. And I was looking at her, and I'd been with her for a long time at this point, and I... I got this sense, I was probably high at the time, but I got this sense like, sh that's not her speaking different languages. That's a different person. That's a slightly different person. You know, and okay, we're a different person relating to our mothers yeah. and our fathers okay. and our boyfriends, all right? But still, within the language, because, you know, language shapes thought, it shapes perception. I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with the research showing that if there's a word for a certain color, you're more likely to pick it out of a spectrum mm. than if there isn't a word in your yes. language, stuff like that. And so I got this idea. I started looking into multiple personality disorder, right? And there's physiological changes that happen with people who have multiple personality Oh, yeah, yeah. Like one of them has diabetes, one of them doesn't. Exactly. Or different interocular pressure. One wears glasses, the other can see without them. Um, different heart signature baseline wow. heart rates and uh, blood pressure, right? Yeah, it, they're meaningfully different people. Yeah. It's like a different spirit somehow inhabits That's that body incredible. and brings with it different, you know, levels Diabetes. of anxiety. So you are poly with one person. <laughs> well, I I would argue that any man who's married to a woman is poly <laughs> with one person. I mean, you know, come on. Uh, but 
but uh, anyway, so my idea was to 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 do research on people who grow up speaking different languages and see if I could actually identify physiological signature hmm. changes between them. Sure. Great research, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But never got around to it. So uh, I'm throwing it out there for you oh, graduate students I'll, in the audience. Yeah, check, check it out. Like, Get back to us. Have you ever read uh, Daniel Everett's stuff about the Pinaha people I of the Upper that. Amazon? He's a linguist. He was at MIT. Okay. Um, big enemy of Steven Pinker, oh, but, you know. I like it, which like makes it. him a friend of mine. Yeah, you go after Pinker. <laughs> yeah, I, right? I think Steven Pinker's. I mean, I'm sure he's a nice guy, <clears throat> but as in terms of a public figure, I think he's kind of a smug uh, kisser of the ass of the status quo. Mm. You know, so. You think he's less of a... And also, I'm trying to provoke him into like arguing with me publicly, because <laughs> that would do wonders. Come on, Pinker, for... you got to take that Come from... on, take the bait, Stevie. Uh... <laughs> you, you curly-headed fuck. Pinker, more like brown noser. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that's... Yeah, so here's here's a thing that uh, like I was... Uh, when you first said the French woman that you mentioned, yeah. in my head, and now this whole time, until now, I had to wait until release this, but... Uh, Frenchened, that's all. It's not a thing, but uh, French mentioned. I just put those words together. So sometimes I was a victim to that in that moment. I just wanted <laughs> sure. to... Sure. Okay, we're let's, we're let's, all victims. Let's roll with the repressed wordplay that we're letting out. If you make this jerk Steven Pinker mad, then you'll be peeven the stinker? <laughs> switch the sounds wow. of the beginning? Oh, yeah. Wow. Peeven the stinker. Peeven the, the stinker. Yeah. Uh, Actually, I did use stinker. I wrote an article called something about Steven Pinker's stinker or something like that. Oh, yeah. His big stinker. Like, yeah. So it's pretty, pretty yeah. apparent. Yeah. He, he takes the even P out of Steven Pinker. Whew. Wow. Uh, so, Zach, you were saying, <laughs> when I would wake a... up in the morning, it'd be like this. <laughs> <laughs> so, that must be tough. I, I, I'm never sharing a room with you. That's I just want to, I, I like you, but, oh, you no. know. By the end, by the end of the trip, we sort of had a, a routine where I would wake up and either keep it to myself or, like, go out of the room <laughs> and, uh, or you maybe phone call. You hear yeah. mumbling in the hallway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, how long you been up here, clerk? We had a bu- <laughs> <laughs> Want to talk? Hey, vending machine. <laughs> um, vending machine. I, yeah. yeah. Ah, hey, you're getting go. it. Come on tour with us. Our friend Micah, uh, a great comedian, Micah Sherman, came with us for a few days, and he's he can plug into this, but is much less like it, and sort of busts our balls for doing too much of it. And I think that was a healthy phase of the tour. Yes, brought it back to earth a little bit. So, you guys, uh, w- what took you into comedy initially? If I can get like real interview, like here, you can sure. Like what, you know, you're in Ohio. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, for me, actually, it came through through rap. I was like a fan of hip hop music for a long time. And of course, when you're that avidly into something, you'll start trying it on your own. Right. But And people laughed at you? Yeah, people laughed at me. It was, <laughs> this uh, guy in his rap. I was the least likely, like a Jewish suburban, yeah. my, you know, my mom's a rabbi. Like, it's just so preposterous. So, okay, are you the only Jewish person in Ohio? Oh, no. There's a lot of Jews in Cleveland and Cincinnati really? and Columbus and Dayton. There's, Fuck, man. I grew up in Beaver Falls. Fever Balls. Yeah, beat you to it. Whoa, that's, uh, that's a great uh, one. Yeah, that's really good. Have you yeah. thought that before? I have, yeah. Oh, it's yeah, so good. Yeah, I studied for that. Fever Balls. Uh, Fever Balls, Pennsylvania. It's hot as. I mean, yeah. I was there in fourth the grade. Beaver you know, falls I think every your... fourth grader like, hey, Fever Balls. Uh, it's great. Super. Yeah. We love it. The the home of Joe Namath. No mm. Jameth. Uh, anyway, we're really driving our audience away. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear them turning our, off our, our victims away. <laughs> there, there should be an app to like filter out this stuff, right? Uh, Twitter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's where I'd vent Block. it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, anyway, and I remember one of the first girls I had a crush on was Sherry Rosenberg. Hmm. And I remember someone saying, I was in like fifth grade or sixth grade or something. And I remember somebody saying, like, oh, she's Jewish. And I was like, what? I don't even know what that means. And then I moved to Connecticut where oh, everybody's yeah. Jewish, you know. And then it, for a time I worked, by the way, I mentioned earlier I have some Jewish cred, some, oh, sure. some Jew cred. Absolutely. Uh, I lived and worked for two years uh, in the Diamond District in New York City. No. I was the only non-Jew, the you know, the goy on the block, right? The new goy on the block. Uh, yeah, everyone thought I was Jewish. Right? Why would you be here if you weren't? Exactly. Yeah. So they're telling me jokes in Yiddish, and I'm laughing. And like, what? what? You're like, my, my name is Chris. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. There aren't a lot of Chris and Christian. There, Christian. There are, Christopher. We have a friend yeah. named Chris Duffy, who is, uh, his mother is Jewish. Uh, and so he is, you know, technically yeah, according to the Jews, yeah. Jewish, but that she like she chose the name. She's Jewish. And she's like, I like the name Christopher. And it wasn't until he was like, oh, at least a few years old that she learned. She's like, oh, I didn't know it had anything to do with Christ. Yeah. He's like, Christ is the beginning of the word Christopher. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Uh, but yeah, so Zach was uh, an unlikely oh, yeah. rapper. So um, to make it brief, I started writing raps and then in college, some friends started a comedy troupe and we did sketch comedy that was not musical and at some point, just, you know, I think funny songs or even m many songs just in general are like short comedy sketches. There's a premise and an arc to it and then a right. clever tie-in and then you're out. Where'd uh, you go to college? Brandeis, as Brand did Mike. Oh. Yep. A lot of Jews. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 It's like 98% Jewish or it's something. It's actually only about 50. Yeah. 50. And I think even oh. less now. But uh. 50... Here's a thing that I, I think I read or heard about, like, Louis C.K. one time uh, was working on a show, maybe the Chris Rock show, and I think he was in, it was some, it was a black comedian's show, and they were like, Louis was interacting with the audience booker, and they are like, so what, what demographic do you want the audience? And he was like, we'd like it to be half white and half black. That would be perfect. It would be, like, just half and half. And they're like, great, we're going to make it 80% white and 20% black. And he was like, what, no, that's not what I, he's like, that'll look half black. To, that'll be what plays as, like, oh, my God, like, to wow. white people who are going to be, like, the majority of the audience because it's the majority of the country, the majority of the viewership. They're going to, like, white people. If you show actually half black people, they'll be like, it's all black. Like, what are you doing having all black people? Mm, that's like, really so, interesting. So in this, same, in this same way, I feel like Brandeis, I mean, has more, like, what's the Jewish percentage in the, in the country? Like, 3%, something yeah. like that? Mm. Like, a very low single-digit number. So having 50% Jews, actually one out of two people Jews, seems like it's all all Jews. Right. And so that's... Well, and Jews are so so loud and... Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. You hear the loudest ones obvious. and that's where yeah. that's where they are. Yeah. That's right. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, and, I, I, you know, I, I don't know if there's a word like... What's the word? Uh, fag hag? If there's like a, a Jew... hag? A Jew hag or something. <laughs> you're a Jew dude. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, I love comedians. I, I love... Uh, I, mean, I spend a lot of time... I don't like gefilte fish. <laughs> I, no, I wouldn't want to be Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I am circumcised, ah, that's but fun. but yeah. I like hanging out with Jews because you know mm. there's there's an energy and an intelligence and you know I also like hanging out with uh, with gay people same thing because there's this energy and intelligence like they've dealt with shit you know and uh, I think it's the same with Jewish culture in a way there's a lot of shit for centuries that they've been dealing with that's created a certain um, appreciation for humor because it's sometimes the only escape, right? Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, and intellect, you know, so it's it's great. It makes complete sense. So, yeah, so we were we were both at Brandeis. Oh, yeah. So you're at Brandeis, you're in a comedy troupe. Comedy troupe. We go out, do comedy as a group for a few years, and at some point, 
I wrote a, my first rap that I wrote that is in the format that I do them now. I got pulled over for running a red light on my bike, and I thought it was such an absurd situation that I wrote a rap about it. And then finally, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, now I see the lane of how I can express these ideas that I have and what I think is funny in this particular format that I really like working in. Right. Um, oh, that's cool. And while I have the floor, I'd like to resubmit. Yeah. The Jewish fag hag is a gefilte aficionado. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Wow. Submitted, accepted. You heard it here, folks. Gefilt <laughs> aficionado. I also actually got into comedy through music. Uh, my parents were both music teachers, and I was made to play the violin from age four. Learned theory, learned everything. Really? Uh, like, sort of against my will. Yeah. Uh, but then was happy that it happened, because in high school I just picked up a guitar and was easily able to teach myself, and now that I didn't have to do it, uh, I loved it. And so now, like, I love playing the guitar, uh, the guitar and the violin, and any like, I I can sort of pick up, you know, I can play a little piano, right. I can do some drums, I can, uh, I love, I mean, so music is in me now. Like, I learned it, you know, while like sort of as a language, like from age four on. Like, if you learn any language before you're seven, yeah, you you have a greater, you it's easy, you yeah. get, you gain a fluency, and so I started writing songs in high school, and then that became my goal, my dream. And in college, I sang in some groups and acapella groups. Zach and I were in rival acapella groups together. We didn't rival fight. Rival acapella groups. That was sort of how the mentality the was. The of the acapella groups. Yes. Rival would be a kind of descriptive <laughs> term. Uh, but uh, but then my senior year, I'd, I got out of the group, and then I just wanted to focus on my own solo performing. And I just started uh, performing at like clubs all around town. Mm. Like I was 21, I could get into bars that had open mics for music. Right. And Boston's got a, a vibrant comedy scene. Right? They do, good... but I didn't know about it yet. And I was pursuing uh. music, so I was trying to find. Uh, like I found this place, Club Passim, which is a, an old folk music venue. There, they had open. They had an open mic uh, that I went to for music. But then mm. I would tell jokes, sort of in between the songs. And I found this place, the Comedy Studio, which is the first place that ever performed at a comedy club. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, and I, just, I was just looking for places to perform my music, and I found that place, uh, and the, the owner, Rick Jenkins, was like, sure, you can come and have some, we'll give you some minutes. And I played two songs and talked in between, and sort of just over the course of a few years, where I didn't even perform that much, and wasn't pursuing comedy, I just really enjoyed talking between the songs, and I was mm-hmm. like, that eventually clicked into place for me, I'm like, I'm gonna try to extend that, right. so that eventually I don't even need this, like, you know, I can just play a song at home, and then go out, and then talk for a while, and then go home and play another song, I don't have to bring this guitar, uh, so that was what got me into comedy, I say sometimes, is... Do you ever uh, bring music into your act now? The the aforementioned Micah Sherman, who uh, is our great friend from Boston, now living in New York as well, uh, he and I do comedy music together, uh, so like mostly I play, uh, mostly I just do comedy uh, without music these mm. days, but I still play, I have a guitar like lying around my house, right. and Micah and I write songs, and we put out an album, and a recently a mixtape uh, of just, you know, we just, he does his own thing, he does improv, he does acting, and sketch stuff, and then, but we just love each other and making music together, uh, and so great. it's more like a labor of love than anything else, like, if, if somebody was like, hey, here's a lot of money to, can you make these songs for us, we'd be like, sure, why not, but mostly it's like, you know, I mean, comedy, art, m- making art for a living, or, you know, performing for a living is just all bonus, but... Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, one of the only regrets I had, I don't have regrets in life generally. The only one I have is that I never learned to play a musical instrument. Hmm. Uh, it's not too late. It's not too late. And in fact, it's it's a book project I've got coming up is, I won't get into it too oh, much, but one, I'm going to learn five new things in my 50s in five different parts of the world. Oh, that's great. Like I'm going to oh, get a bush great. pilot to teach me to fly in Alaska. And I'm going to like... Um, 
I'm going to be as soon as I get back to Portland, like in three days, I'm starting in this gym with a personal trainer and I'm doing Aikido and all this kind of shit. So that'll be one. So there'll be like a physical thing. There'll be learning to fly. A great AJ Jacobs kind of thing to do. Yeah, kind of. It, I love that. Guy. And it'll be a departure from the kind of I don't want to write any more of these big science books. Sure. It's a lot of work and it's like the giant homework assignment. That can know? be one of the five things. Yeah. Learning to write a book. That's not a big science book. <laughs> well, it, yeah, that'll be meta, won't yeah. it? Like, and the fifth thing, in case you're wondering, was this writing this book. It's only four chapters. <laughs> <Eat> my dick. <laughs> Zach actually just started uh, taking piano lessons last year uh, because because of this very thing. He's like, I'd like to. Yeah. I'd love to know how to Well, play I mean, piano. if you're rapping, you're obviously, and, and it's a shared frustration, I imagine. Like, I feel music so deeply. Like, yeah. when it's good, man, it touches me as deep as anything. Or you even feel like you get it more than people who don't have the thing. I, I mean, well, you understand I you it. You way. can you can comprehend the language, but you cannot produce it. Yeah, yeah, and and like my best buddy growing up is a musical was a musical prodigy. He's like what you're describing. You know, he he his parents are Russian immigrants, oh, World yeah. War II refugees. They're so it was like just like me. Yeah, like that dude was doing his piano lessons. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, and and then by the time he was twelve, he was winning national composition, you know, titles and writing violin concerti. And M- might they have know. been composition competitions? They were. Great. Yeah, okay. Yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> we like the sound of those Can't words together. <laughs> Zach, you did it too. We I didn't say it though. I just <laughs> mouthed it at you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's... anyway, and so and we grew up, and he would like turn me on to new music all the time and explain why Rush was a great band. Which <laughs> it took me a long time to get past Geddy Lee's voice. I, I mean, yeah, Rush is intellectually a great band. Well, but also musically. I mean, you got three guys. Geddy Lee is like one of the greatest bass players in rock history, and Neil Peart, the drummer, is amazing. The guitarist was, you know, catching up. But uh, anyway, he'd like, we'd play music and he'd like, you know, explain. And the first time I ever heard, really heard classical music, he played a Chopin etude on my father's piano. And I was like, fuck, I get it. You know, that's not shitty old person music. That's fucking beautiful. Anyway, he and I, what was interesting was that he, he said to me, and I don't know if, if other people feel this, but he was like, I, he said, I don't really feel it the way you do. Because to me, I'm thinking about it, and it's like, I see it, it's a structure. Like, okay, oh, we need a minor key here, and then this has to go like that. And uh, and when, I, when I'm doing it, I don't really feel it. And even when I'm performing it, I don't really feel it. I can see people in the audience are feeling it way more than I do. And I don't that, know. That, do is, you know that I mean? is sort of, yeah, the gift and curse of when, I mean... He, he basically learned it as a language, the same. I feel like I, I need to figure out where this story came from because I've heard about like a culture or like a village or someplace where music isn't really a part of anybody's life specifically, but it's a part of everybody's life like holistically in that like every every like it, going to the DMV or going to court involves like a like a song and response like a call like there's some musicality to like and we have it too in our society a little bit like oh yay oh yay the court is now in session will everyone uh, please rise like there's these commonalities that are right. musical but we've been like oh hey what what's your favorite you know court jam be like oh that's not that's not music <laughs> but it's musical so yeah. like i feel like the, similarly this is like a little stretch but your friend you know he learned it as a language he speaks the language he, he's like oh yeah this is i get it yeah. But, but you're you're experiencing it the sound as a lines. passion, yeah. and he's experiencing it just as a craft and not the art necessarily. Right, and I'm experiencing it as a foreigner. 
Yeah. So, like, when I talk to Spanish people about, you know, I, I point out how silly their swearing is, a lot of them are like, wow, I never thought of that. Yeah, what the yeah. fuck are you talking about? They're right. dumb, or it doesn't even, doesn't make the impression. Right, because you just grow up with it. So, yeah. you, it's like, well, whatever, it's it's reality. Every once know? in a while, and that's the thing, like, in comedy, that is sort of, hopefully, joyous at times. Like, the, yesterday, I was talking with, uh, with some friends about throw pillows, and, like, just, oh, throw pillow, a word that we've all said, but then, like, we have started breaking down, like, what... Like, is it like somebody was like, is it called that because you I was here actually doing a podcast and somebody is like, oh, is it because you throw it off the bed? Like, is that literally like you throw it like who's throwing like what? Like, but, you know, yeah. nobody like considers which is like, oh, yeah, if somebody's like, yeah, why do you call it that? We don't have throw pillows. It's a central thing of comedy. Like, oh, here's a thing that you don't think about that I because I have my brain right. did think about. But it's familiar. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. The exact bit that this is reminding me of is we. Mike mentioned on this podcast or the other one, I don't remember which, our friend Pete Holmes, who has a bit, a great comedian, who has a bit about how strange it is that when we say Mr. Peanut, we all think of a specific Peanut character who has like a hat and those little glasses. And he just spins it out from there. But yeah, I mean, you just never think about it. And I, it's funnier yeah. when Pete does it. Oh yeah, <laughs> Pete's great. Uh, he has jokes that aren't that one. Uh, Sorry, Pete. That one's good too. <laughs> Mr. Pete, nut. Uh, I... I feel like people like the, some of the best comedians would probably feel the same way as, uh, which, I mean, and some of the worst comedians maybe too, but mm. uh, people who do comedy so much, like Dave Attell, I think, is a great example of a guy who probably doesn't, he seems like, he puts forth the 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 seeming, the semblance that he is not necessarily enjoying what he's doing. He's just like, this is what I do. I hope it's good. And everybody's like, it's the best. And he's like, yeah, I guess. I don't know. Maybe other people are the best. Yeah. But he's just like this machine because he's just, you know, been doing it for so long and so good. And his, his brain is so good. I remember, do you know the website Quora? It's like a sort of a crowdsourced uh, question answering site, like a, yeah, like a forum yeah. of questions, I think is the, the idea. Yeah. And so somebody asked, like, what is it like, like, what if you're, you never find out that you're great? What if you're not, what if you realize you're not great at something? What do you do? And somebody, the number one answer was a guy who was like, you'll never think you're great. It's like you, if you think you're great at something, you're not right. Everybody who's great at something is just like, oh, I'm not great. This is just what I do. He's like, I've been told I'm great at the thing that I do. Like I've been doing it for 20 years. I'm like one of the foremost people in my field, like people, but I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just trying things. And like, if mm. sometimes it works, sometimes I fail. And then I'm, if, if I'm like, this is what I want to achieve. Once I achieve it, I'm not like, oh, I achieved a great thing. I'm like, oh, now that's just a thing I did. I just did a thing. Like, so he's like, you'll never think you, hopefully you'll never think you're great. Be like, that'll come with like resting on your laurels. Be like, well, I did it. I'm. Yeah. You know, I think about that a lot in terms of uh, civilization, right? Because civilization seems to be built on this uh, essential dissatisfaction. And, and we celebrate that in America, right? The fire in the belly, you know, never give up, keep pushing, you know, you got to go. Blah, blah, blah. The infinite game. Yeah, right. Well, but the problem is, I, I guess this is the downside of the infinite game. You, you never win, you just lose, you die, right? And you're still like chasing something you never caught and you never could catch. So I, I remember there's this New Yorker cartoon, two, two rats on wheels, and one of them's running and the other one's just sitting on his wheel. And <laughs> below, he, he says, I had an epiphany. <laughs> you know, and I, I do think when we compare uh, happiness and uh, life satisfaction and all that kind of stuff, uh, societies that aren't work related are happier. Because if, you're, if it's all about work and achievement and, you're, you know, never enough, never enough. Oh, yeah. 
then you're fucked. Enough. You got to have... You got to have enough. So, I mean, my I agree with what you're, you were quoting there, but I kind of feel like there's a way to say you're great at something without turning into an arrogant asshole and, and like, swallowing the poison. I think that you are... I agree as well. I think that you need to be both of those rats. You need to be the right. one that's striving for the future and the one that's That great, stops and thinks about, that's where am I for, running? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and also looking back, being happy with what you've achieved, and but striving for more, always, you know, trying right. to be in the moment, being like, am I happy doing what I'm doing now? Right. Am I doing something that I want to be doing? Am and I also, if you're really good at it, I mean, you guys are both obviously good at what you do. You're making a living from it. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, fuck, like, I'm really good at this, but it's not because I'm so great. It's because I'm fucking lucky. Oh, yeah. I was born with this brain. I had these experiences. And, and also in the arts, there's a magical quality to it. I mean, I get this writing. I, don't, I envy you guys, just like I envy musicians, for the, the immediacy of what you do. Oh, yeah. Like, I know you work a lot alone. You're thinking, you're driving down the road, something comes in, you have to pull over, write it down before you forget it. I know there's all that work that goes into it. But you get to stand on a stage and hear people laugh. Oh, yeah. You know? That's amazing. As a writer, it's all a year later or and, 2 years later. And then once you do once you're doing the book talks, like tours, like you can you get brought to do events and then you get that immediacy too if, if you are insanely yeah. lucky. Oh yeah, most writers don't. Most writers don't even get published, right? And speaking of yeah. uh, like rap is actually one of the best examples of I think are you can definitely, you know, you can know that you're as good as you are hopefully if you have or you can know that you're you've achieved something you're like oh other people enjoy what I'm doing I must be doing something that's positive in some form I know I'm not the best I know what does that even mean it doesn't matter I'm just going to keep yeah. working yeah. enjoying what I'm doing trying to do something productive because also then the first the second that you voice I'm doing something good then you'll have some haters be like oh fuck this guy you know Well He's, you'll have haters if you're a public figure in any way right That's true but yeah. I think like rappers is like sort of the the, the main counter example to like where bragging is sort of like the norm where it's like I am the best even if they're not the best it's like you know how many rappers claim to be the best yeah. uh, versus how many can be the best like that's the thing that I love about rap is that they're proving that they're the best like while saying they're like saying that they're the best and then rhyming seven things with how they're the best right it's literally who's the best at saying they're the best yeah <laughs> it's like an undeniable like and you can't deny it sometimes like and Eminem I think arguably one of the like certainly one of the best for whatever that means and he's one of the guys who's like, I'm like fifth in, in one of his new songs. He's like, I'm like in the top five. Like he's like, and he names a couple other rappers. He's like, these guys are amazing. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm up there, but, uh, which I like. Although later he does also say that he is number one and two. So he's being both rats. Oh, that's <laughs> great. One and two. Yeah. Gold and silver. Does he say that? Does he say, does he put them in order in that song? Does he say his first and second or does he not? I think he says, I don't know. I'd have to go to the song. Okay. I mean, not to get too too serious about this, but I do think there's one of the essential tragedies of our civilization is that we uh, we celebrate people who are never happy because they're the ones who have the greatest drive. They're the ones who aspire. They're the ones who accumulate the most wealth, right? Like, and I think there's a deep wisdom in recognizing when it's good enough. I mean, wine. Think about wine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I can be really happy with a $15 bottle of wine. Oh, yeah. Right? But I know people who, if it doesn't cost $500, they're not interested in drinking it, right? It's bullshit. Yeah, those are bullshit people. That's all bullshit. Yeah. Do you know, probably, I think this is the truth. Uh, I know that it's been done with water, and I'm sure they could do the same thing with wine. 
uh, and probably has been done. But uh, if you ha- tell people that they're drinking five hundred dollar wine, they think it's better. Yeah. Then they, their brain it's all will placebo. react. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. all that's all you need is to have uh, a level of people tricking you, like yeah. saving your money and being like, yeah. "Hey, got you a great new expensive wine." Right. I mean, I, th- I think the rule of diminishing returns is is the essential rule to happiness, right? Oh, yeah. The, it's like because if we apply this, it's never good enough. Like, well, divorce, right? You'll never find the perfect woman. Forget about it, man. You'll never find her. So you're always going to be unhappy. You're always going to be looking for the next thing. Fuck that, man. That's addiction. That's not... And those are the people we celebrate, right? So you're talking about politics. I don't remember if it was this or the earlier podcast. But but in hunter-gatherer societies, it's very interesting. Power goes... Power is not coercive. In other words, nobody says... I've got power, fuck you, do what I tell you to do. Because everyone in a hunter-gatherer society has access to what they need. They all can get food. They all know how to build shelter. So there's no, like, there's no money. There's Is no, there a structure? Well, there's a structure, but, and, and I would argue it's the most essentially human structure, power accrues to people who are respected. Awesome. So... And generally, the person who is respected, what we would call a chief, is only in that position because everybody else wants to hear what they have to say because they have a a history of being right, right? People love them and respect them. So that's how you get to be a chief, right? And the worst thing you can do is show some uh, desire to have power. That's considered ridiculous. Yeah. That's because that's, you want, you, I I just read a quote by, I think, uh, Deepak Chopra, maybe, or maybe Desmond Tutu. Somebody, somebody inspirational. Doesn't matter. Some it's, brown yeah, guy. It's a good thing. Uh, and <laughs> Deepak or, or Desmond. Somebody with a D. Some <laughs> yeah. some D bag. Uh, and they they said, don't stri- if you strive for success. If you strive for success, you'll only find stress. But if you strive for excellence, you'll find success. Like so, the idea of you know. Don't the result isn't what's important, like the journey, the the process. That's like, on a poster with a seagull in probably. the living room. Did you oh, see yeah, that? Oh yeah, that was a seagull. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, man, I'm sorry. You finished with your thought? Pretty much. Yeah. Go. For, you finish my thought. We had a uh, okay, great. We had a. Uh, I was reading Russell Simmons's uh, book. Do you like? It's an inspirational book. Uh, Are we talking about the exercise guy or the? No, no. no, no. He's he's the that's... guy who founded Def Jam Records. Oh, okay. Uh, I know who you're talking about. Right. Yeah. Right. So he, the book, I was reading it, another comedian, Howard Kramer, who's great, bought me the book and was like, this book will change your life, basically. And I was reading it and I was like, this book is dumb and full of hackneyed cliches. And then at one point during the book, Russell was like, a lot of the stuff, kind of out of nowhere, a lot of the stuff I'm saying is probably stuff you've heard before and it might seem kind of cliched, but... The way that wisdom works is you have to have it presented to you a lot of times, and one of those times you're at the right place in your life to receive it, and so then you'll get it. And that's I didn't finish the book. That was like the only thing I took away from it that I thought was cool. It did change your life. Howard yeah. was right. Besides a story about um, pu- a young puffy uh, like being on a, a treadmill, a Stairmaster competition with Russell. A young puffy being on a treadmill? <laughs> <laughs> Good. Because so, he was still puffy. <laughs> yeah. So it's just so interesting that, like, whoever that quote is, like, we just have to hear that thing. Yeah. You hope that one of the times it really takes, you know, the thing you're saying about life's yeah. a journey, not a destination. And I want to uh, say that... I. While while you, I think it is true that we do celebrate the you know the slightly the, the unhappy, the frustrated, the the curmudgeons, the people, uh, the progress that's made the by the, the unreasonable person. Right. Uh, but I'm doing my and not necessarily the happiest. You know, there are happy artists out there certainly, 
Uh, and they're probably being celebrated too, though they're probably painted with the brush of they're probably miserable underneath like everybody else. Yeah. And like not everybody is the is an equal amount of miserable to happy ratio. But uh, I just want to put out there like I'm uh, I'm doing okay, and uh, I think you can be happy and uh, successful enough depending how you measure and rate success. Like I'm not you know I'm not making as much money as most people, but I'm making uh, you know if money is your is your metric, which it isn't, uh, you know, there's the, this Mr. Money Mustache, do you know this guy? No. Uh, that Zach introduced me to. He's like some former rich, I mean, he's a rich dude who writes about how you don't need money to be happy. And that's like another, is that right? Oh, yeah, he retired at 30 for the rest of his life due to... And he's like... Adjusting I, his lifestyle. I learned eventually, like, that, you know, most of the things that I was, like, striving for weren't money. Like, I ultimately got all the money that I wanted, and it didn't. that didn't make me happy. Right. Of course, you know, it's easy to say that as well. Like, to somebody who doesn't have money is like, well, yeah, let me have that money, and I'll, I'll, I'll have the happiness that I want. But it's that, like, people are always striving for this future, always planning, which is good. It is where progress and things come from, but you need that balance. You need... Yeah, but before we, we get into progress, we need to make sure we're going in the right direction. Oh, that's true. Because if you're going in the wrong direction, progress is not yeah. what you want. Right. Yeah. You're climbing the ladder, but you have to make sure it's up against the right wall. There you go. That's ah. from The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Ah. Is your point about Mr. Money Mustache that he worked as an engineer throughout his 20s, so did his wife. They live, you know, not in, they buy organic food and take trips and have love and joy in their lives. Now that he's, but he's, he has a mathematical formula for how much you need to live for the rest of your life without working. They stopped working. Now he's making a ton of money from the blog. Oh, really? <laughs> it's exactly what <laughs> we're talking great. about. There was, I read an article of like seven years ago about a guy in, I think he was in Switzerland, had a whole bunch of money and he decided he was going to sell his house. He had this big mansion and uh, give all his money away and uh, just travel around the world and backpack or whatever. He's in his 30s, I think. And I cut out the articles in the International Herald Tribune when that still existed. Cut it out because I thought, future book, this might be something. I, I want to track this guy down and see how he's doing. And, oh, you know. sure. So I started working on Civilized to Death, started Googling the guy. Turns out the guy was deeply in debt and he had... Uh, consulted with some public relations company and they came up with this plan to pretend that he was giving up all his possessions and giving it all to the poor because then he could auction off the house and he'd make a lot more money auctioning off the house after all this publicity than he could just selling it and then he could pay this stuff off and it it was all a fucking setup oh my god yeah wow well and now sorry sorry but i need to finish now the guy goes around the world Making money, giving talks about, about how you don't hoax. need money. No, no, oh. he doesn't acknowledge the hoax. He's he's oh, full of shit. Wow. He oh. goes around and gives talks about how great it is to not have any money and you don't need money. And he's like ten thousand bucks a fucking day to give these t- presentations. Well, I mean, in Complete his defense, scam. you you don't need money. You need debt and deception. <laughs> you, you need to be good at deception, exactly. Well, I know you guys have things to do, so I guess I guess we should wrap this up. You have any any final? Uh, Words of wisdom, you know? Any truisms you'd like to repeat? Uh, I'll say uh, one thing that I was going to just add yeah. from uh, Daniel Quinn, from either Ishmael or one of the other books that he wrote, was about the idea of making sure you're heading in the right direction. Mm. Like, people, uh, there's a lot of people that are like, hey, we're doing fine, society. Like, we haven't gone extinct yet. Like, every, yeah. so far, so good. Yeah. And, like, that so far, so good attitude is, he's like, imagine, like, a guy who, like, uh, constructs... A, 
the metaphor of society is like a guy who's like comes up with some wings, like a, a, a makeshift plane, like leaps off a cliff yeah. and is like gliding slash plummeting. It's right. like so far so good. Yeah. You know, You're hit. flying yeah. until you hit, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, but I do think so. I mean, there's so all we can do on an individual basis is start with ourselves. You know, be like, what do I want to do? You know, obviously we're not in a vacuum. We're social animals. Like, like think about what makes you happy, what makes you feel productive. Hopefully, you know, that thing can uh, put, if it can put food on your table, great. If not, then do what you have to, to put food on the table while you pursue the thing that you love, while you connect with other people yeah. that you care about and love. And just, you know, basically be at the, the, oh yeah, this, I think Zach and I both listened to this uh, TED Talk hour about happiness. Did you? Oh, yeah. Uh, where, you know, one of the things was about a guy who gave up everything and, you know, lived in a very tiny apartment that was just the most efficient way to live and it made him super happy. And one was about, like, a monk who just talked about gratitude and gratitude mm. as the most uh, definitive, like, marker of a happy... He's like, are people happy because they're grateful or are they grateful because they're happy? And he's he like, basically, probably happy because they're grateful. Like, the Was more... that Michel Richelieu or something? That like sounds that? right, yeah. Do you know he's got a PhD in linguistics? Oh, I didn't know that. From oh. Sorbonne? Oh, wow. Yeah, he's like a big-time awesome. French intellectual who gave it all up and moved to Nepal wow. or Tibet or somewhere. He seems like the real deal. There. Did you follow him around and uh, chat? Did you debunk everything that he's about as well? <laughs> no, yeah. no, no. I, I think he yeah. is the real deal. He's, yeah, yeah, I mean, listening to him, to listen to that that speech, with that, he's just like great to listen to and it it all resonates when you hear you're like yeah i mean we all have these things that like oh i want this i want that oh what somebody else somebody like but i i always work to try and center myself and be like i'm super lucky super fortunate yeah. you know that my dna is what it is that my right. family was what it was that my you know, my, my be my brain became what it is that it's still becoming that i can i have all these things i have so much more than i i mean there's so much things if you focus on what you don't have then you're going to be miserable forever because right. you don't have most things like ninety nine point nine nine nine. And if you did, where would you put them? Yeah, like you got to leave them right where they are. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so being happy, like, oh man, what I have is great. If I lost everything that I had, I'd still have myself. Or if I lose myself, then I'm done, and then I don't have to worry about well, it. Have you seen this research showing that people who win the lottery six months later, they're right back where they started? Oh, of course. Yeah. And also, people lose a leg in a traffic accident. Of Same course. Thing. There's a this baseline. Was, yeah. yeah. This was in that TED. Talk. It was in the TED thing. And okay. if we, you know, there, you only need whatever the number is like seventy five thousand, a hundred thousand dollars a year, which then, is not hey, you know, and that's for a family. Oh the, yeah, yeah, that number is for a family of four. So an individual, like forty grand, fifty grand. After it's the diminishing return. Yeah. After that, it's just a fancy label on the same old wine. As they, as a wise man once said, "Mo money, mo problems." I mean, that's legit. Like the happiest, I've always said, whatever it is, the happiest person making whatever that number is, forty, seventy thousand dollars. Like nobody's happier than that person. Like you, yeah. you can try to be happier than that happiest dude, but you can only tie him. Like the brain has yeah. only like a limited capacity. Uh, also, there, there, there's a, there's some sort of deep getting back to Taoism. Uh, there's, there's a very deep sense in which happiness can't exist without sadness, right? I mean, there's, it's like light without darkness. It's there's a yin yang thing. There, I remember reading um, uh, Chogyam Trungpa, who's a Tibetan monk. Um, Talking about this, he said that uh, people come up to him all the time and say, you know, oh, you know, I want to, I want to experience nirvana, I want to be in a state of bliss, and like you, and he's like, no, no, that's not what we mean, right? What what we're talking about is centeredness, and centeredness is balance, and he says. You know, the the state that I'm in and that we seek to achieve, you know, these monks, is not 
pure happiness. It's that no matter how happy you are, you never forget the suffering that's going on around you. And no matter how much you suffer, you never forget the happiness. That's nirvana. That's bliss. That's you're in your center. The Taoist thing that I like that I that helps me when I think about it and hopefully others is uh, when people are like, how do you not, you know, worry about things? How do you and what you might you got to worry about something like what, you know, the idea that some things are within your control and some things are not within your control. If something's out of your control, you can't control it. Don't worry about it. Right. If something's within your control, right. you well, can control the, it. Don't AA, worry about it. Uh, prayer, right? Oh, yeah. And yeah. But you don't even need to know which is which. Just don't worry about any of the things because if you can control, control it, you will. And if you can't, then don't worry about it. Right. It's just maybe bad things will happen, but worrying about them only adds yeah. to it. You ever read uh, Kubler-Ross on Death and Dying? I haven't. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing book. It's like 69, 70, something like that. It's a classic. It's the first book that really talks about how we die, right, uh-huh. and how we confront mortality. And she uh, she talks about the five stages of grief. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. You've heard of them, right? So the way I remember it is Dabda. It's denial. So, no, the test result's wrong. They must have mixed it up, whatever. Anger. Like, that's not fucking fair. How could, how, I can't have cancer. I'm a vegetarian. Bargaining. Well, I'll, I'll do sit-ups every morning. I'll you start know, eating I'll, meat. Yeah, I'll do whatever. <laughs> uh, uh, depression. And the final stage is acceptance. Mm-hmm. So I think when, like, Trungpa and these other, you know, mystics, what they're saying is get to a state of acceptance. Yeah. Think your way to a state of acceptance or experience your way and then live the rest of your life there. And that's where you'll be not happiest necessarily, but best off because you'll have, you know, what, like you said, what you can't control, you can't control. Like, whatever, let it go. Accept it. Yeah, yeah. Did you have something you want to say? I felt like we were stepping on you a little. Uh, No, it's fine. Is this closing thoughts? Final thoughts. Closing thoughts. I have a romantic situation that's turbulent right now in a way that's going to be totally fine. And uh, coming into this, I was pretty... It's on my mind, but this is real calming and centering. I enjoyed all these thoughts and conversations. You know, it's funny. I I spent a lot of my 20s in a turbulent romantic situation, and now I look back on it, and sometimes I miss the turbulence because it was so passionate. Yeah. You know, again, it's the yin-yang, right? She doesn't know about the source of the turbulence. Like, it's a conversation we're going to have to have. It's like, some. it's... Too weird to go into. By the oh, time yeah. this podcast yeah. comes out, it'll be all you'll good. have had the conversation. Oh, I see. But, you're, uh, you're heading, uh, <laughs> you know, the pilot comes on and says, we're coming into a, <laughs> exactly. some turbulence you up it, ahead here. your seatbelts, folks. Yeah. Don't need to worry about, but just to be safe. You might have to put up your tray table. <laughs> so during the break between Mike's podcast, which you did before this, I wrote to her like, hey, like I'm feeling some intense stuff and it feels great. Like it is, it, it, like the last really tough breakup I had, even during it a little bit and more so as it started to recede, I was like, but most of the time I don't feel feelings this intense. So like it's a, it's a valuable, rich place to be in. Yeah. Yeah. And you're young, man. I mean, I, I've, in the last few years, I've sort of become this old sage kind of person mm-hmm. for some reason. I didn't know how that happened. I wasn't <laughs> expecting it. And why should we buy this from you? Sold. Age. Yeah. I've been there. I'm a gray beard. Yeah, but no, I mean, that's a good, that's, you know, when you're young, you got to do that stuff. And that's one of the joys and, mm. and terrors of being young is like, you know, failures, right? And, and relationships that don't quite work out. I'm so glad my first relationships didn't work out. I saw a picture yeah. of you wearing a blue tuxedo oh, yeah. somewhere on your site or somewhere. I wore that same tuxedo to the prom, man. Nice. Yeah, yeah, but that's another story. I wore that this year. <laughs> hey, do you, do you guys all sleep with the same women, by the way? Uh, me and Zach. Yeah, we have. I don't. We 
I made out with a girl a couple times that Zach dated. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's the closest that we've come. Is I became both. friends with three comedians in L.A. And only later did I realize that they had all slept with the same woman. Like been in relationships with her. Oh, wow. And I knew her, too. And nobody yeah. was like telling me anything. And then I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Zach and I don't, we have like a little overlap in the, the kind of person that like, we're attracted to and Groupies. end up with. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a girl comes up after a show, we're like, Zach's type, Women. my type. Yeah. Easy, I love it. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, def, I, there are people in my life, like, um, I have a roommate in New York who I've known for 20 years and he and I, uh, like at summer camp together, like he would date a girl and like next summer I would date that girl. And, like, you know, it's like 90210. It's like, there's That's a limited great. cast of characters in yeah, your life. Yeah. So exactly. you're going to end up dating exactly. some of the same yeah. people. Hey, bonobos do it. Yeah. 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 All right. Listen, you guys have places to go. Thanks for doing this. This is Thanks really so fun. Much, I'm glad you're here, Zach. Yeah, I, me it too. Was it was thrilling. Thank you so much for having us. All right. Check, check these guys out. They're great. Check him out. Baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you ever know Said it for a headstone I don't wanna give the end away But we're gonna die one day Your body is an animal Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about an obligation Running from a confrontation Wondering what we ought to say When everyone we ever known Sit for a headstone I don't wanna give the end away We're gonna die one day Smoke alarms will dance into the ground.